Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we speak with Mindy Fogg, the Executive Vice President for AEP. She has over 20 years professional experience as a land use and environmental planner and CEQA practitioner in both the public and private sectors. She is currently serving as a planning manager for the County of Ventura, where she leads the commercial and industrial permitting section. Mindy has managed numerous public and private projects, such as general plan amendments, specific plans, subdivisions, habitat conservation plans, ordinance amendments, cannabis permits, mining projects, oil and gas projects, and renewable energy permits. Mindy has been actively involved with AEP since 2008, and we hope you enjoy hearing from her today. Hi, it's Jessa. And I'm Laurel, and today's guest is Mindy Fogg. We're so happy to have you um, and your leadership on this podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you guys for launching this podcast. It's It's been such a great program already. That means a lot coming from you. Uh, for those that don't know Mindy, tell us how you're connected to AEP. Well, I am currently the executive vice president for AEP, um, so second, I guess, in leadership on the board with you, Laurel, Laurel, the director at large, um, and Laurel kind of took over my previous role there, which was CEQA workshops um, and membership, but then she ran with all that and decided to do so much more with podcasting and um, students. And uh, I mean, you're just killing it, Laurel. I'm so appreciative to have you on there. And I get to just make sure that things are kind of running on track. Um, As the exec VP, I get very involved with both the state and chapter programs um, and kind of help the president with the business as usual stuff um, and annual uh, annual conferences. But um, but yeah, I got connected to AEP in 2008. It was when Diane Sandman, who was then Diane Catalano on the San Diego chapter board, asked me to join the board there. And um, and it came, she asked me right at a time when I was trying to break into leadership. And I thought, well, this will be a, a growth experience for me. And I joined the San Diego chapter board. And that's when I met you, Laurel. Um, a, a couple of years later, you joined the board as well. And we worked great as a team. Yes. And, uh, and eventually became the director of that chapter. And the director, the way it works in AEP is the director of the chapter sits as a director on the state board. So they represent their chapter with the state board. And, uh, and so that was my transition from the chapter board to the state board and getting to know everybody and how it works uh, that way. And, and as I said, getting involved with as a director at large as well with the SQL workshops and membership. And so it's just been tremendous. We just had our board retreat last weekend, as Laurel knows, in in Oakland, and we always kick it off with going around the room and asking why people are involved with AEP, and it's always so inspiring to hear everyone's stories and to kind of reaffirm why we're involved, um, how, what we want to see in the coming years, 
and how we feel about being together. And all of us say that it feels like a family and we really, it's not just for professional reasons that it really enhances our personal lives also. Yes. I am. Thank you for mentioning all those things. Firstly, thank you for the lovely compliments being on the chapter board with you and growing with you has totally enriched my life in personal and professional ways. You are definitely my family. Jess is part of my family. This is just a big, loving, happy family that we've got. And going to the the board retreats together is always my favorite time of year for the reasons that you said, where we go around and there's, you know, there's over 20 of us on the state board, including the chapter directors, and to give each other the space to convey our feelings about how we joined AEP and why we're still here. And I would say the majority of, well, we all agreed with each other. <laughs> we're all on the same page, obviously. <laughs> but, so um, Michael Hendricks also saying that this has completely enriched his life. And I think he's one of the oldest, most seasoned folks on, on the board at the moment. And, and his work with the climate change committee and his patience and his grace that he has as leading the climate change committee. It's just going around the room and the youth and age diversity and the career diversity. Um, and I just feel at home and like a part of the, a part of the family. And Mindy, you've been there since day one for me. So I just like, when I think of AEP, I think of you and Mindy's also being humble because when you let, you are a true leader in the sequel workshops, you get everybody together, you get the curriculum sorted, you make sure everything's organized. You even participate as a speaking panelist. Like when I think of sequel, I, I do think of you, Mindy. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I do love sequel. <laughs> I don't know why. It is one of those things that uh, I didn't even really know existed when I started my career, but uh, but then came to find out that navigating through CEQA is just it's kind of mostly art and some technical, uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun, I think, uh, because it is such a squishy kind of law that is is full of subjectivity. And so you kind of get a lot of creativity outlet in trying to navigate it. How many laws can we say that there's creativity involved? (laughs) Not that many. And I think most people prefer a straight up black and white. This is what you're required to do under the law. And this is what you can and can't do. And seek was the opposite of that. <laughs> so what um, what brought you to this industry? Tell us how it all began. Sure. Um, it's funny because uh, when I listened to your guys' interview of Claudia Garcia, who is also director at large on the board, I was blown away by the similarities there uh, because she talked about how she was working at a grocery store and started going to community college and uh, that's exactly my same story, only probably 10 or 15 years earlier than she. And uh, so in the early 90s, I was working at a grocery store, done with high school, really had no intention of going to college or didn't know what to do next. And um, started going to community college, Grossmont College in San Diego. 
I actually started taking business courses, didn't know what, uh, what kind of career I might have in front of me. And um, after a couple of years of business courses, I remember I was one night in a, a, like an 8 p.m. tax law class. And I said, I think, <laughs> I, said I, I think I need to rethink this. And so, <laughs> Sounds awful. <laughs> and so I really took a long time in community college because at that point I just started, I decided to get an associate's degree and I just started taking every kind of class. And I really liked the science classes and both physical and uh, biological science. And so when I got this opportunity to transfer to UC San Diego, it turned out that they had a major there called Ecology, Behavior, and Evolution. And it embraced all of the uh, physical and biological science. And so I transferred over and uh, took me a few years to get that degree. But, um, but it was a lot of it was kind of biostatistics and theoretics and things like that. But um, it did get my foot in the door with San Diego County. And that's where I got a job as a, I guess you would call it a junior planner now, but at the time it was called environmental management specialist trainee. And, <laughs> Dash um, trainee. Yeah. <laughs> with the planning department. And uh, I, uh, I, somehow how able to to get in there as a biologist and then look around and say okay so what do we do here <laughs> what is this what planning. is environmental management <laughs> planning department um so uh, it was great i that was 20 years ago um just went from there i made so many friends and learned and had so many mentors and learned about uh, planning and uh, uh, difficulty of being a biologist in a planning department is that really one of the main reasons they're hiring you is to tell developers no and sorry you can't build here and you can't do this you can't do that and um, and yet at the same time you're kind of viewed as an obstructionist by your own department so it's kind of that conundrum and I did struggle with that a lot, um, and it was it was kind of painful, slow growth at first. Trying to find, trying to flip that script, and try to help developers and be able to say yes and help them from the beginning as to how they can achieve their goals and do it still in an environmentally friendly way. And I was fortunate to move from being a biologist to being a discretionary permit planner to being um, on the general plan update team in advanced planning, getting the general plan update um, uh, done with the team under Devin Muto there, mm -hmm. the wonderful team and work on the EIR. That's when I really started enjoying CEQA and that pretty much coincided with the time that I joined AP, AEP also. And, uh, and being on the uh, long range planning side of things is really it's so, so valuable as a planner too. You start to learn the difference of uh, 
processing permits versus actually driving a project forward and being the applicant in a way <laughs> yeah. of programs and uh, getting that through the process. And I, I stayed in that long range planning role for a little while and I was finally able to move up and become a supervisor um, back in discretionary permitting. And that was my 15 years at San Diego County. Well, before you go, before you go on, I wanted to take a moment and highlight, I think that in my experience, when you're in the permitting, permitting and planning and in that kind of applicant review, it's more like how I think of like, it's methodical and like how you get things permitted. And when you go to advanced planning or long range planning, which is like general plans, community plans, climate plans, energy plans, long range plans, that's more why, like, why is this community designed the way it is? Why is the mobility going in this direction? Why, why this, why that under which then the applicants come in and, and say, here's my project. This is how it meets the why document. This is how it complies with general plan. And then how you go through the methodology of checking the boxes. That's how I kind of phrase it in my mind and in my recommendation, because we've all felt, I think we've all felt like obstructionists at times when we're just trying to implement or implement the law or uphold the law and like help with compliance. And my recommendation to developers, because now I am one, so I get to say it, is hire on somebody like me, like Mindy, hire on a planner, a biologist, um, somebody that can see the whole breadth and depth of the environmental review process so that you can just avoid the problems in the first place or minimize them in the first place and then mitigate them if you need to. That's my two cents. I love that advice. And I love the way that you just described the difference between discretionary permitting and long range planning, the the how versus the why. I've never thought of it that way. And that's very astute. I love that insight. It just dawned on me as you were talking, because I was like, how do you explain this to somebody who doesn't? Because Jessa, for example, I'm confident you don't know the difference between long range planning. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, so that's, that's how I would um, explain it to like my my mom or my niece or something is like, yeah, the, the big idea, the big vision, like if a business <laughs> or your seven-year-old plan. niece, uh, we're, uh, <laughs> same, same level. it's like, uh, in, in business planning, you've got your strategic plan. That's got your mission, vision, values, your goals, three-year goals, you know, one-year goal, quarterly goals and objectives and strategies to meet those goals. That's what a, a long range plan is. It's like, here's the vision of this community, We've got all these goals and these strategies, aka policies, like land use policies or environmental policies. And, and then you take your, your project or your business and you compare it against that strategic plan and you go, am I helping implement this, this strategic plan or, or am I a little wonky and I need to, to clean it up to be more compliance? And, and the complexities happen when the politics get involved and, and um, you know, the, the economy needs something that doesn't align with the, the plan itself. And then you've got to have amendments and variances and all sorts of different procedural discretionary things that people have to weigh in on and opine on. But that's, that's the gist of it, in my opinion. How does, how does, Mindy, how does working in, um, in, on San Diego's general plan, which is, I mean, San Diego County's massive. Yeah. 
The general plan is massive. And now uh, then you went to work at County of Santa Barbara and now you work at County of Ventura. How do those different agency experiences um, diff- compare or contrast for you? Wow. It's so hard to describe. I mean, the what I automatically think of right away is the stakeholders. That is what really is the big difference uh, when I think about the three. I remember in San Diego County, the development pressure was huge. And um, our biggest stakeholders were the building industry, um, the uh, Farm Bureau, and, um, and then we had community and environmental groups. So we had 26 elected community groups and then also a number of environmental watchdog groups that um, that watched, uh, made sure <laughs> that we were, they kept us honest basically so that the development didn't just run rampant. And um, when I got to Santa Barbara County, the building industry association wasn't really a, a very present stakeholder because development, things like subdivisions and uh, rezones in general and specific plans for, for residential development was not really in the general plan there and it wasn't really um, a huge factor. But uh, far, the farmers, the environmental community, and then the oil industry were the big stakeholders. And it was just fascinating. I mean, it's just a real, a real difference of culture when you're going from a county with so much development pressure to a county with a very different kind of pressure, um, more of a keep things as they are pressure. <laughs> and, uh, and I would say at now at Ventura County, it's a little bit in the middle between. Um, and our, our biggest stakeholders in Ventura is definitely the oil industry, environmental groups, community groups, farmers and developers. So I guess now it's kind of a, a equal mix. Um, but when I got to Santa Barbara County, I was in long range planning and working on um, a variety of community plan updates and ordinance updates when the cannabis measure passed. And uh, I listened to your guys' interview with Amy Steinfeld, which was a great trip down memory lane because I was working in parallel with her as all that was going on. And we were given in 2017, we were given the task of completing in under a year, the whole cannabis ordinance and licensing program with an EIR. And it was just so exciting. I'd say uh, that really was so rewarding and exciting to have something so new to work on. Um, Even though part of me missed just discretionary permitting, it was enjoyable to have this new industry coming to the county and being able to figure out how is this gonna fit and working with all the different stakeholders like Amy had talked about 
the industry and the communities and the electeds and pulling t- together a set of regulations that, you know, at least initially we thought was a good start. And I know that they've had to continually change them since then, but that was very yeah. rewarding. Yes. Yeah. I, it's fascinating up there. And I remember when you were at, in Santa Barbara County, you and I presented on a panel together at the AEP conference in San Francisco. I think it was San Francisco where we yeah. talked about climate planning. That's right. So tell us about your, your role in the Santa Barbara climate planning efforts. Well, uh, it was, it was a little bit minimal to be honest. Um, but Laurel, that, that reminds me that you had just gotten going at San Diego County right after I left. So our paths had crossed a lot on AUP, but not, not in the same county job. And uh, yes, you, while you were working on their CAP, we were implementing the CAP in Santa Barbara County um, and working on that side of things and uh, got to work with... Uh, Selena Evelsizer there who continues to work on that. And uh, yeah, great team there. Yeah, that's right. You were on the implementation side and I was on the yeah. planning side because we yes. were revising a few things. That's right. Comparing and contrasting notes. Yes. Yeah. And I believe that we even had, um, I think it was in the AEP conference in Santa Barbara, we had the port of San Diego and Jason Giffen talk about climate planning for a port. So I recommend people check out uh port of San Diego's climate planning efforts. Cause it's pretty cool. And also check out a uh, San Diego airport climate planning efforts under Brendan Reed. I have a career crush Brendan. on Bre- like Brendan Reed's career path. He keeps popping up everywhere. And I'm like, yes. I just like everything he does. I haven't heard that name in a while. I miss him. Yeah, he was um, on LinkedIn today, and that's why he popped up in my mind and uh, Jason Giffen and everything. And so tell us tell us about how you tran- the transition from Santa Barbara and then into the private sector, I believe, before you went back to public and why you chose, why you keep getting called back to the public sector. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so we had just wrapped up in the beginning of 2018, wrapped up getting the cannabis ordinance approved and with Jessica Metzger and Dan Clement there who did an amazing job. Jessica's now with the city of Santa Barbara and wonderful planner. And it was so great working on that team. And um, after it was approved, I was starting to get moved over into implementing the permitting of it including some code enforcement things. Um, And since we had done an EIR, it really wasn't going to involve CEQA going forward. And I started to think maybe I needed to take a step away and uh, do some private sector, which I had never really done before. And I had been working with RINCON consultants on a number of the cannabis um, updates. And so they, uh, there was a wonderful opportunity to go there and assist with the um, cannabis permitting that they were doing. They were doing environmental studies and contract planning. And it was, I, I, I can't, not, I cannot tell you how rewarding and valuable it was to spend time at Rincon, the energy there was so great. I remember we had a 
team across the state working on cannabis issues that we would all uh, meet and talk about. And it was fascinating. We, the, uh, the firm was working on so many different aspects of it. Um, and I was mostly working with the slow county planners on their implementation as they were getting a lot of cultivators needing permits in that area. So I was working with slow county uh, staff and working with the Rincon team out of Slow County, but I was in the Santa Barbara office. And it was wonderful. I absolutely loved it. Um, I also got to work on a lot more CEQA and really get tremendous insights from the smartest, smartest people I can think of. And I just made uh, lifelong friends there. Um, I guess the reason I was called back to the public sector was kind of twofold. One was that I was trying to see where I was going to, where, where my leadership path would be in the private sector. And I was really spending a lot of time picking the brains of the principals at RINCON. And I just wasn't sure that I could, uh, build on my experience very well to become a principal planner. I had doubts about myself there because these people had been um, from the business side and the marketing side and working for such a myriad of different clients. And I didn't feel like I had really built up that repertoire. So I kind of had some doubts about myself, but I thought, well, I really loved the firm so much that I thought, you know, and they were willing to give me a shot that I could work through that. But then um, when this opportunity came up at Ventura County, I also just started to remember how I enjoy really seeing a project all the way through from beginning to end and being involved with uh, some of the critical decisions and getting it uh, either approved or denied or modified with the decision makers. And it was something I was missing and that I'm enjoying now at Ventura County. Uh, I run a, or I, I lead a section in their planning division for commercial industrial discretionary permits. And uh, I have such a great team there that is uh, working on oil and gas, uh, surface mines, cell sites, energy projects, landfills. Um, and I, I jokingly always say it's everything that our constituents need but don't want in their backyard, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hundred percent. So are you, are you one of those planners that's like, okay, I'm successful if everyone is equally upset with me because, because <laughs> all the projects you work on are, are just going to like annoy someone, <laughs> yes. someone somewhere. So it's yes. like, as long, as long as they're all equally annoyed, then it's equitable. That is absolutely right. But no, I do try to always put a positive spin on it in my head these days. So instead of thinking that I'm making sure that everyone's equally annoyed. I just try and think I'm building consensus and building um, 
you know, something that everyone can, can live with and balancing competing interests. <laughs> We're all doing um, strengths finders at the County of Ventura Planning. So we've all been doing Clifton strengths finders. And I immediately thought of you when I got my results, Laurel, because um, the two of my top two are woo, winning over others, and positivity. And I oh. went, that's Laurel. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> we can share that. Sharing is caring. Yeah. Uh, thank I'm you for being a wooer too. It was, it's yeah. on my hey, strings. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you? So with, when you guys are doing this, how are you implementing it across the County and across your team? Like, so when you do the strength spider, like then what do you share it with each other? Are you workshopping it? Like, how do you use it to work better together? Yes, we are doing that. Um, cause you really, is, you know, one of the things that it tells you is that these are just more of your natural talents and you really have to invest in them to make them strengths. And so, um, now that I have the results from my team, I'm constantly, I have the grid up right over my desk and I'm constantly looking at those strengths and how we balance each other out. And when a new project comes in, uh, what kind of talents might lend itself best to that project? And then we talk about that. So we do, we talk about it at our staff meetings and, um, and we are working on investing in those talents. It's exciting. We have a lot of leadership training at our uh, at our department, and mm-hmm. we're just kicking off something next week called Emerging Leaders for our senior planners to help them start thinking about leadership before they have direct reports. And so yeah. we're really excited about that. That's that's helpful. Yeah. What does um, what does leadership mean for you then? Uh, boy. Um, well, one of my mentors is, would say that there's just two golden rules to being a leader. One is to always, uh, always give help when someone asks for it. And the other is, um, don't be an (laughs) (laughs) a-hole. That's fair enough. And while those are definitely kind of the minimums, um, when I think about it, I, I often think, I, well, I often le- think back to my first real experience in being a leader was actually when I was in San Diego from 2005 to 2015, I was part of the San Diego Police Department Crisis Intervention Program. And uh, what that was is uh, if there's a traumatic incident, and especially like a loss of a loved one, whether it's natural causes or foul play, doesn't matter. Um, the police would call on us and we would provide emotional and logistical support to those people who are going through the trauma. And uh, that really, for me, taught me so much about listening to others, not thinking of myself, not thinking about what I need to say, but what, uh, how to be there for others. And ultimately, um, in 2010, I actually became the development manager and began training the crisis interventionists. And we, uh, uh, with my co-manager, Lori Lombardo there, we really focused on, um, developing them to just help them succeed. 
And I think that's what leadership really means. It's helping others to succeed, regardless of the goal or the vision. I can, I can attest uh, that Mindy, when you show up in the world, compassion shows up. That's why I think that you're such an integral part of the AEP family, because for speaking from experience, I've had loss in, in my life. And I was like, maybe, maybe I should sit out this conference or this board. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't come to these big events where I'm going to be around a bunch of people where I need to like, might have extra pressure on myself. And I was comforted knowing that you were going to be there. And when I showed up, you're like, come on, you're going to get some food. Let's <laughs> feed you. And then I got to express myself and you held space and you listened. And that is to me, yes, that is what leadership is, is when you see somebody who, um, like me, I've got a lot of growth in front of me. I got a lot of, I got a lot of growth in front of me, room, room to expand and to grow. And you're able to hold that space for those of us that need that support. And, you know, I do hope AEP provides that sort of space for you as much as you provide it to us in, in that community. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for saying that, Laurel. I'm so glad that you felt that way. And I do think that carrying that forward, that really is what it's about. It's about uh, allowing people to be themselves, but helping them to find their way Um that's really, I mean, it's almost as simple as that, you know, and uh, a lot of people find it so difficult to listen to others. Like I'm thinking not only of my team right now, but of our customers when there's real emotions involved with things. And there's real, I mean, sometimes people laugh when I say that a cell site has a whole community very upset, but that it's not funny to them. This is real and emotional for them. And um, a lot of people find that hard. And I actually find that one of the easier parts of my job because I can listen. I can empathize. It's one of the easier things I can do. I may not be able to fix the problem. And that's exactly what we would, that was our number one thing that we would teach crisis interventionists after being safe is that you cannot fix the problem, but you can be there and listen and help. And so that's how I view what we do, which I just think it's wonderful what we do. We're always uh, trying to find um, common ground and uh, find a way forward for the projects that we get in Ventura. And we have great leadership there too. I'm just in awe listening to this and the crisis intervention is so interesting to learn about and that you that you are trained that and trained others, because as you were speaking about this in Laurel's example, it's like, what an invaluable training to have as a leader, because whether we like it or not, every single one of us at some point is going to have some kind of a, you know, quote crisis in our life. And to be able to be this empathetic leader and to be there for your team and and know what to do when someone comes to you and has a personal emergency that they need to deal with. And your first response isn't like, how are we going to get all this work done? It's <laughs> hold space, listen, everything's going to be okay. And I just was like, wow, that would be like really, really helpful training for a lot of leaders. Yeah, I think so. Just sitting think, with it. Um, I'm just like, man. 
Yeah, I'm hoping to bring that into our emerging leaders training. And I, I have been recently trying to inject some of that in and explain um, one of the things, too, that we would teach at Crisis was uh, how to have emotional survival also. And by that, it's kind of a workload balance thing, uh, work-life balance thing, where you really have to keep in mind what you control and what you don't control. And remember to invest in things that you do control because uh, not being able to survive emotionally in your work and in your life, oftentimes you'll find it stems from spending too much time in something you don't control. And quite frankly, none of us control our jobs. Even if you're the biggest boss, you don't control it. (laughs) And, but yet you have time that you can control and you have to invest in that in order to survive and in order to be effective and make a difference. And the emerging leaders program, is that something that you're putting together? I am with my co-manager, Trisha Mayer. That's amazing. And another thing too, I was thinking about is what a great program for these leaders, because I think, especially in a technical field, people don't quite get that managerial training, but you grow in your career and you're expected to lead a team. And then you don't have the leadership or managerial training other than check the timesheet, approve PTO. And there's so much more that goes into that, that a lot of people are thrown into that. So I think it's just really amazing program you guys are putting together. Yeah, we are excited about it. And and not only do sometimes people find themselves there without the tools, but a lot of times they'll find that they've worked uh, in this Uh, given department for a long time, but actually can't become a manager because it says, well, you haven't had any direct reports. Well, you haven't given me any. And so trying to bridge that gap also. So we're very excited about that. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm sure Ventura County is grateful to have you because that um, your, your natural and your learned skill sets are so helpful um, in this profession, because as you mentioned, when you develop communities, you build projects and stuff, it's, it's emotional stuff. This is the quality of life stuff that if it literally affects people's quality of life. So it's nothing to be taken lightly, but also one of the big messages that's coming through to me when I talk to you and, and, and I think reflect on my own life is it also not to take it personally. So these, these problems and these issues that we have, I mean, oftentimes being in the environmental profession is a little bit like the apocalypse, like impending apocalypse and doom at all times because of yeah. climate change and, and all of our issues. Uh, but to remember that it's not a reflection of you, of yourself or your value or your worth. So my business or my work or my job or this project is not a reflection of my worth. How, how do you, Mindy, uh, take care of yourself and maintain perspective so that you can show up in this emerging leaders program and show up in the, in Ventura County, what are some of the, your pro tips for taking care of Mindy? Yeah. I mean, definitely investing again, investing in, in your own time. Um, when I got to Santa Barbara, I joined the Santa Barbara newcomers group, which uh, I've made a lot of friends and developed a real strong social ties. I still live in Santa Barbara County, even though I work in Ventura County and um We're no longer newcomers, but we have um, a few different groups that get involved locally, including a wonderful group that I'm in 
with the Women's Fund of Santa Barbara. And the Women's Fund is a, um, it's like a organized donor collective where women pull their money together to fund pro local programs that help uh, people in Santa Barbara. So oftentimes it's women and children in Santa Barbara. And oftentimes it's to help homeless or those who are on the verge of becoming homeless. And one of the programs that we were able to fund last year is like a safe parking program for people who are living in their cars and need you know, the, to help them get back on their feet, but also in the interim to help them have a safe place to park in order to live. And those are the kinds of things. So that, that kind of stuff uh, brings me a lot of joy. Um, I also will take just time for myself here. I go, um, I live in Carpinteria. I go to the beach. I go, I do the urban hiking that you guys were talking about in other podcast programs. And I also even scrapbook here in my place. Um, whenever I get the creative edge, I'll pull, pull all my photos together and scrapbook them, um, which gives me self-reflection and, um, and creativity time as well. Thank you so much for sharing those things. I was hoping that Kitty Khaleesi would make an appearance because <laughs> I think that that Khaleesi has uh, been a great AEP cat. Um. <laughs> yes, she's here. She's um, she sits on her little he heating pad right next to me. Yes, <laughs> when I'm in the in the home office here, uh, I felt her presence. <laughs> I, I, I did. Well, I think um, Jessa. Unless you have another question, I think we're at our time for a wrap up, rapid five. Yes, I'm ready. Great. Um, all right, Mindy. What is your favorite daily habit? Um, I get up early, like 5 a.m. early to allow myself a good 45 to 60 minutes of drinking my coffee, checking in on the news, um, cultivating gratitude, investing in my time before my day gets crazy. And that helps me feel more resilient throughout the day, knowing that I had time to think before the day got underway. Love it. What are three things you take to a deserted island? I would take my coffee, my cat, and I would take Audible slash podcasts because I just, I listen to Audible or podcasts every day because I just need to connect with other people. And, um, and sometimes I'm too tired to read and I love hearing other people tell their stories. And I love the programs that you guys have been putting on so far with your podcast. Thank you. Um, what is your favorite environmental policy? Um, oh, we didn't really get to talk about this, but it's it's good old SB 743, which you guys did get to talk about with uh, with Terry Rivasplata, which I really enjoyed. Um, but I just... Uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid with SB 743 and I'm struggling with LOS policies as they're written in our land use plans. Um, we, you know, 
Jessa, I don't know if you know, LOS is when you're really measuring traffic congestion instead of how many miles people are putting on the road. And, um, and so we still have to address traffic congestion, which is good, but it's difficult. And um, we are not, we are not turning that approach toward getting people out of their cars. Instead, we're still saying, well, you either have to have no project or widen roads. And I struggle, I struggle with that. The struggle is real amongst us. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and your favorite flora or fauna? Um, this might sound, um, um, I don't know what the word is. Uh, it might sound kind of cliche or something, but it would be marine mammals and whales um, which I've just been fascinated with since a child. And I didn't mention that I actually worked at SeaWorld for 10 years in San Diego also while I was going to community college in UCSD. So, um, so I, I, I got to see how intelligent those orcas are and I'm just absolutely in awe. Yep. That's yeah, that's amazing. What an experience. I'm like, oh, yeah. these, uh, this wrap up rapid five is like leading to like three other podcasts. Um, <laughs> and um, finally finish this thought. Wouldn't it be cool if. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if California became the model of affordable, sustainable transit? Yes. <laughs> Mindy Fogg, everyone. Thank, Thank you, you Mindy. guys so much. This was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. It is our honor and pleasure as well. And I hope that we get to have you back to talk about all the spinoffs. Rapid, <laughs> wrap up rapid five spinoffs. I would love that. But I also, I know you've got lots more uh, environmental leaders lined up for this podcast and I can't wait to hear, hear more. Thank, Thank you, Mindy. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As a new podcast, it really helps us if you share with friends and colleagues that may enjoy this podcast as well. And please subscribe or follow the podcast to be alerted for new episodes. Also, if you want to submit a shout out, please send a voice memo under a minute, uh, ideally to podcast with an S at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P.org. Again, that's podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P.org or any feedback that you'd like to share. We love feedback. Thank you.